You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Greetings, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I am meeting with a fellow executive coach, and we are going to continue a discussion about leadership, leadership development, uh, training, and uh, managing folks. Uh, my my guest is a lady named Monique Deneau, and uh, Monique, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're, we're going to have the spelling of that last name in the show notes, folks, so you can find her on social media, and we'll we'll have other links as well that we'll talk about at the end here. But uh, Monique, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your journey to get to where you are today. Well, I have a corporate background. I started in the corporate world when I was 22, a single parent, and progressed through in various industries, mainly under the HR umbrella, doing coaching, training, leadership development. And I became very traumatized in the workplace. I have complex PTSD from childhood trauma. And at that time, when I was in the corporate world, I hadn't done any work on myself. So going into the corporate world, <clears throat> I became very traumatized by the toxic behavior. I was very easily triggered. Mm. So after over 20 years in the corporate world, I decided to leave and become an executive coach. I felt like leaders in that environment needed more support. There were leaders being promoted that had no training. They were only being promoted because of their tenure, not because of their knowledge. And there was really no support, no resources for them. So I felt that as an executive coach, I could go back in as an external third party and work with leaders in multiple industries to help them with their behaviors, help them shift their behavior, help them improve their skill set so that they could run their teams better and hopefully improve the toxic workplace. So that's where I've been ever since in that world, doing that kind of work. I work across about 15 different industries at this point with clients from all over the world, from the manager level up to the C-suite. And it's been very exciting for me to be able to give back in that way and really to try to help leaders so that other people will not be traumatized like I was. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, what you're describing is sadly not uncommon in the big corporate world. And maybe I give too easy a pass on this, but... I think it's a function of our tradition for the way we select and promote managers. We typically have an operating unit and we have an opening for a supervisor and we go out and look at the floor and we say, ah, you're the best employee of the bunch here. Poof, we're going to make you a supervisor. Well, uh, the person that got selected that way, as much as they might like the promotion, they they may not be the right pick at all. 
and then that starts a journey of continued advancement. And uh, at some point, 10, 15, 20 years later, everybody wakes up and says, you know, this person is terrible to work for. And we scratch our heads and go, how did this happen? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I found when I was in that environment also. And I think a lot of it, if, if we were to really root cause the entire problem, I think it can go back to onboarding, which is something that we'll talk about today. Because in the selection process, that in itself needs to change. But also, once an employee gets <clears throat> onboarded, they have to, they're, they're vulnerable. So they need support throughout their journey as a new employee. And I think a lot of good employees who could eventually be good leaders leave prematurely because of a very poor onboarding process, because there's no support right from the beginning, much less than when they get into leadership. Mm. So I think that is <clears throat> the root cause right there, that if the selection process and the onboarding process were different, companies could retain their top talent and train them and support them all the way up the ranks so that we would have better leaders. That's yeah. what I have seen anyway. So that's my philosophy. Uh, that's an interesting take on it. So that person that we might be hiring as an individual contributor right now, if we include the lens of long-term possibility and try to identify, tag, and evaluate right from the get-go, um, that, that is an interesting twist. I think... Um, I think all too often companies are just really focused on the right now. I've I've got a vacancy. I need to I need to build this team. I need to grow this unit and I I've, I've got to get people in here. So there's a you know there's an old adage that I'm aware of in my dealing with the HR world is we hire too fast and we fire too slow. And um I think the hire too fast is is just what I said. There's there's this immediate urgency to fill a vacancy and a void, and we blow through the hiring process just for the sake of finding a warm body that's going to fit. And hopefully the person shows up with a little bit of skill, knowledge, and ability, but you know, the, the challenge in that is skill alone doesn't make it a good fit. It, it's, there's a lot to be said for knowing your culture and finding people that fit the culture well and then worrying about skill set level as a secondary matter. You're exactly right. And those initial conversations, I guess both parties have to take responsibility for those types of conversations, the candidate and the people involved in the hiring process, all the way from the HR recruiter up to the hiring manager. There needs to be conversations earlier on about company culture, the values of the company, the mission of the company, the mission of the team that that person will be on. And this all ties into expectations. What are the expectations? 
what should a new hire be expecting when they get onboarded? What should a hiring manager expect from the candidate? What are the candidate's long-term goals? If they want to progress into leadership, the candidate needs to talk about that in the beginning. And hiring managers need to ask those kind of questions of the candidate. What are your long-term goals? What is it you're looking for? And that helps to determine if there's going to be a good fit. So you're right, it's not just skill. There's a lot more involved and it needs to start sooner as far as those conversations go. You know, uh, in in a lot of the work I do with larger corporations, one of the common complaints I hear from leaders is that the pace of business has really accelerated over the last couple of years. And there's a new term that has reemerged. Uh, it's an acronym VUCA, and it stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. And leaders sitting in seats of authority are struggling with that. They've got, and if you think about what those four things mean, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, uh, th that's a perfect storm if you're a leader trying to navigate through that and create clarity, create direction, give instruction, train, equip, and inspire your people. Um, and again, I don't want to give an easy pass to the modern manager, but there's there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, again, I, I guess I go back to the, the idea, are we doing well enough preparing people for that management track to get them into the roles of leadership in a company and turn them from being just effective managers into bona fide leaders? And if we go back to expectations, when a new candidate is brought on board, the first thing that needs to be done is that the hiring manager needs to make sure that person is developing relationships throughout the company, not just with their team and their peers, but they need to start having informational interviews with others in the company, they need to be building relationships, understanding how the pieces of the company fit together. What happens in all these units and departments to make the company run? It gives the employee the bigger picture of where they fit in. And it's important that an employee be able to, to fit in and know how they fit in because that helps morale. It helps motivation if they understand all the pieces of this puzzle. Plus, the building of relationships gives them visibility. It helps them know what's going on in the rest of the company. It helps people get to know them. Then if they feel like they want to move upward, they have more information. They understand where they might fit differently or better going forward. What goes on in this department? What goes on in that department? Do their skills align better in a different department? So they can start to plan their career trajectory right from the start. And that's gotta be facilitated by the hiring manager in their new hire orientation. I'm a firm believer that 
new hire orientation or onboarding should be more than just a week. It should be at least 90 days, and then it should transition into continuous professional development. Mm -hmm. And that happens with, well, initially there should be a 30, 60, 90 day plan in place for the new employee that's developed collaboratively between their manager and themselves so that they understand the expectations and they know what they will be doing within the first 90 days. And then after the 90 days, it should transition into an IDP, an individual development plan, a plan and goals for that person that gets updated yearly. So it's a framework that they have right from the beginning. The 30, 90, 60, 90 day plan is created in a tool or a document and it's updated throughout the first three months. And then the IDP is another tool and document that gets updated. And it forces the employee and their manager to have continued conversations about development and skill set and visibility. It's <clears throat> critical to have that take place. And it leads to the manager having specific career conversations with their people. I am appalled at times when I coach managers and I hear that they're meeting with their people one-to-one -one weekly or even bi-weekly ongoing, but they have never had a career conversation. It's always been about uh, update. Update me on what you've done this week. Update me on your project. What's the yeah. status of this and that? Mm -hmm. There are no career conversations happening. So even if they're happening quarterly, that's better than nothing. But I feel that they should be happening way more often than quarterly. Again, it helps keep employees motivated. It helps them realize that their managers care about them. And if you're working in a company and you know that you're cared about, you will want to stay. And I think that's part of what's happening with the, the mass exodus is people feel like they're just a number. No one is treating them as individuals or helping them develop their career. And they want to leave and find somewhere else where that can happen. Um, if, if I may for a minute, let me kind of play devil's advocate on that idea. Uh, I mean, well, first, let me say I, I agree totally in theory what, what you said. I think companies need to and can do a lot more in the early going with individuals' employment for the sake of trying to build better engagement. But like I said, if I may, let me play devil's advocate. So I, I hear you're playing up to, up to 90 days of orientation. If I'm looking at a um, clerk level three in my shop, I am just not going to invest in 90 days before they ever a transaction for me, you know, how, how am I supposed to get past that? I think it needs to happen simultaneously while they are performing the work, because I think performing the work is really important. And the sooner they get started on that, the better, because that's how they're going to learn their gaps in their skill set, And that's how they're, they need time to make mistakes and, and learn. So I think it has to happen simultaneously. I don't think it's 40 hours a week for for three months of just orientation, but I think it needs to be weaved in to their hands-on experiential okay. Okay. work because you're right, it it no one can afford that. So it's gotta happen 
simultaneously. Okay. Well, that, that's helpful. Yeah. And then, so weaving that in and, and making resource and connection available, you know, as you were describing all that, I, I was reflecting on my own experience when I came out of the military and got recruited to go to work for a, a regional bank. The gentleman that had found my resume and was most eager to get me on board was himself ex-military and he had an operating unit that had a void they needed a manager for that unit and he said well if if doug's got all this experience in the military he can go right into this unit he'll be fine i you know he's an officer i, I know he'll do just fine well it created a small civil war that i didn't know about at the time between this operating manager and the HR director because the HR director said no we have an officer training program for the bank we it's a six-month program and you go through you know all the it's a departmental tour you're going to learn about the whole inner working of the bank and actually excuse me it was a nine month and and my manager recruiter said well, let's make it six months, and I, I think I can figure something out. And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I detoured and went through the officer training program, which, on retrospect, it was a fabulous experience. It, it was one of the high watermarks of my whole career of having that opportunity to make that tour. And I subsequently did not take the original job. I, I took something totally unrelated and totally different. And uh, it, it just, you know, turned into a 20-year career. But uh, it, it was very beneficial and it was very unique. In that case, the institution was willing to invest to bring on people that were so-called, you know, coming in recruiting as management team members, they made us go through a elongated program before we ever had any line responsibility. When I first started my corporate career, I was a insurance claims processor in the medical insurance field. Mm -hmm. And that's a very technical area because you're processing medical insurance claims, vision and dental so my original training program was, it was a long time ago, two or three months where we sat in a training room with a group of other new hires and we learned the coding, the medical coding. We learned how to input the claims. We had simulations, things like that. And it was a very safe environment. It felt very safe because we're in this classroom and everything's controlled, this controlled environment. And when we finally graduated, we were so excited and we were put out onto the floor to process real claims. And I remember I was terrified that the simulations were nothing like what actually <laughs> happened out on the floor. And I remember thinking that they should have found a way to transition us differently into the real world because it was it was really scary. And a lot of people quit. A lot of my classmates quit because they were just, it was too big of a shift, too big of a transition into the real world. And then suddenly they're handling phone calls from complaining doctors and patients that are calling the insurance company complaining. And we weren't really taught specifically about how to handle those kinds of things. 
So, so yeah, there's, there's gotta be a way to somehow integrate true real life things into any kind of training period. Uh, it's uh, such a big challenge. Well, I'll tell you what, Monique, it's uh, about time here for us to take a short break. We're going to insert a little commercial message, folks, and hang with us. We've got a lot more to cover when we get right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we are back. Uh, you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Uh, my guest and I have been talking about some of the challenges in the modern work world, and we we spent a bit in the first half talking about the whole idea of better onboarding of, of people just to begin the engagement experience with effective onboarding and some extended training and indoctrination, so to speak. But um, Monique, in the in the the world we find ourselves now, with so much of everything in business happening remotely, how do we onboard in a remote world? How do we do that better? And what sort of things are you hearing and seeing from client companies? It's a major topic right now with some of the senior leaders that I'm coaching, and. I try to put their mind at ease a little bit by telling them that just about anything you can do in person, you can do virtually, especially now with the technology. It's more about the content of the onboarding program that's important, not so much the delivery method. Because if the onboarding program is put together properly, like we talked about already, and if people are focused on building relationships, meeting their team, understanding expectations, all of that can still be done virtually. There are vir ways to do the virtual meetings, the introductory meetings, the informational interviews so that people are getting their visibility. Training now can be handled virtually. So it's not much different. The part that seems to be throwing people for a loop is that many people prefer to connect in person especially a new hire. I have had managers tell me that their new hires are definitely going through a virtual onboarding program, but they're, they still feel very disconnected because they're not in the office. And some people, quite frankly, do work better in the office. They like that social interaction. So with that, I encourage them and I coach them on how to create in-person interactions periodically, whether it's team meetings that happen in the office or offsites that happen over a couple of days so that people can interact. But the actual onboarding itself can still happen virtually during that time frame. There really is no difference as long as they have the technology that will allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, the whole remote workforce phenomenon has really become front and center and is really in a lot of places, it's become the backbone of the business. And I still deal with 
leaders and executives of these businesses that are really hating it. They're just they're just churning over the idea that people aren't back in the office. Perhaps part of it is an anxiety that they've invested in huge facilities and they don't know what to do with the empty space, and that's a big drain on the budget. But um, I, I think it's deeper than that. I, I think it gets into the whole idea. And I would go so far as to argue there's an unreliable conclusion that says, I manage better if it's in person. And if I ever have anybody say that to me, I kind of want to say, well, shame on you. <laughs> the, you know, the in-person idea, I get it. It's, it's helpful. It's beneficial. But if you can't lead, inspire, and motivate people remotely, then what kind of leader are you? And, you know, when COVID first hit and everyone had to go remote, I had managers who were telling me the very same thing. I, I don't know how to manage if, if it's not in person. And, you know, in coaching, we dig deep into the root cause of things. And what was coming up for some of these people as I coached them is that it was a control thing. It was a bit of ego. They wanted to be able to see their people doing the work, to know that the work was getting done. They didn't trust it's the same reason why some managers don't delegate. They don't trust. They don't think it'll get done unless they do it themselves. But in this case, they wanted to be in control. And there was some kind of a, a, a feeling of a loss of control when their people were suddenly home and they couldn't see what they were doing. And they just had right. to rely on trust that it was getting done. And the way I countered that with them was by saying, you will know if the work's not getting done. You will know if deadlines are being missed and if the projects aren't being accomplished on time. You will know this. So it took some time. I think managers now are letting go of that a bit. It's still, it's still really hard. Some of them still have some very rigid structures in place to keep an eye on their remote people. But yeah, it was definitely a lot bigger of a problem when COVID first hit. Right. Oh, I think the trust issue is a huge element in that. And whether it's spoken or not, I think the managers that had to deal with their entire team going remote have, have uh, let me say it another way, if you're a manager that has trust issues with your own team, um, you, you are not going to like the remote setting at all because they are they're fundamentally not accounted for you know nine to five eight to five however you score your day but the irony is a lot of the data that's come out of the covid lockdown has indicated productivity overall has gone up yes and i think that's part of uh, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done to understand this better. But I think that's part of a theory that I've now embraced. I didn't used to believe this as a manager, but I do now. If you've done a reasonable job with your hiring process, the person you've selected is going to want to show up and do good work. Nobody wants to show up and suck at their job, um, at least not 
normal people. <laughs> so as a manager, you need to leverage that. You need to uh, give them the equipment, the training, the encouragement to, and more importantly, you have to explain them what right is, explain to them what is the definition of right? What is the right thing to do? And what is the next right thing to be done? And that's the real challenge of being a manager in the modern world, because guess what? Good people are going to want to do the right thing. You just have to lay it out there in front of them. Right, right. It goes back to communication, having really good communication with your people, which helps to develop trust and helps to develop those relationships. I think it's it's a journey. It's what I tell all my people. You'll never be a perfect leader, but just the fact that you continually try to learn and understand your people says a lot. It's just a continuous journey. And that's why there's a need for people like you and I. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as, as most of my listeners know, I've done a lot of work in the area of helping build trust at work. And um, I, I tell leaders that one of the things they've got to understand is if you want to have trust within your team, it starts with you. You have to demonstrate trust to the people you've got. And it, it's kind of like, uh, to use the legal phrase, it's uh, innocent until proven guilty. So I trust you until you give me yes. a reason not to trust you. <laughs> yes. And but, the reasons will come fast. If, like but, I said, if they're not doing something right, it, it will show up. Too many leaders have that upside down. You, you know, you have to earn my trust. Right. And, but, you know, that becomes a bridge too far for most employees because it's like, there, you know, the quick answer to that, if you're the employee is, well, I don't know you. I don't know what your standard is. I, I don't even know. So you've just set me up to fail if you tell me that's the way it's got to work. Right. And uh, that's, you know, very uh, discouraging. Yeah. Well, fortunately, there are leaders that are wanting to grow. And they come to coaching for that reason. And I really admire people that that know when they have a gap and that they want to fill it and get more knowledge and get more experience so that they can lead better. Because I think there's definitely a need for better leaders in the workplace. With the change in the world, uh, you know, the whole again, the perfect storm of everything we've got going on in, in the business world right now. What are some of the key areas that you're getting asked to, to help leaders resolve? The hybrid work environment now, what companies are supposed to be doing? Should they have their people in the office X number of days or should they leave it up to the employee? That's a big issue right now still because nobody really knows what to do. Nobody knows what the best practice is. So it's almost like every company has to create their own best practice. Right, right. <laughs> and so there's been a lot of surveys going out internally, which I think is good to collect information and feedback and things like that. And, and you're still not ever going to please everyone. So that's that's a big one there. Another one is psychological safety. And it goes back to the trust issue and things like that. And with people working remote, 
it's harder to build those relationships. So there has to be more psychological trust on the teams. And that's a whole different topic that we could go into at some point, but that's big right now. Managers want to know the best ways to do that. What are some of the things they can put in place to help their people feel safe in, in this crazy world where nobody feels safe? So that's an, another big topic. So I think those are the two main ones. In addition to just managers wanting to, to know how they can be better. I think they truly do want to be better. They just don't know how, which takes me back to the way we started the show today is that there's very little support and resources out there. For managers, yeah, you know it, it's it's been interesting. I've told the story several times before when when I first decided to formalize my coaching process. I was really passionate about the whole idea of leadership development, and I was sitting at a dinner with a good friend of mine who's a well-seasoned, proven CEO. He's a private equity venture capital guy that you know, the funds will tap to go in and become interim CEO of a company. And he's done that six or eight times and, you know, done the flips and everything. And he, he's just a great guy and a, a wonderful, proven entity when it comes to anything about leadership in the business setting. And I was talking to him and he shook his head and he said, Doug, you're never going to be able to sell leadership. He said, 5% of the CEOs in America understand leadership and they're focused on it as a development opportunity, but everybody else doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. And if you want to do what you want to do, you're, you're not going to be able to sell it as leadership training or leadership development, even though that's a popular word in the HR circles, I know. And he's actually been true. I mean, what he predicted has actually been 100% true. And uh, it's, I think it's changing for the good, but it's, uh, it's been a slow and somewhat painful change. You know, companies are scratching their heads saying, why aren't we performing any better? And you know, the quick answer is look in the mirror. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, as you said before, you've got to set that example. Leaders have to set the example first. It starts with each individual person. So it's, yeah, the statistics you quoted are very unfortunate. And um, it, uh, like I said, it, it has been a challenge and it has been interesting, but thankfully it's uh, slowly starting to change. Let me ask you this. You were, I, I want to shift gears and go back to the psychological safety thing. W what are some of the specifics that you encourage people to consider when that question comes up? If, if they're sensitive to the idea of how do I build better trust on my team? What I find is that a lot of managers, when they have conversations with their employees, they do more talking than listening. They're directing, they're telling, they're, even if the employee comes to them with a problem, the manager is telling them what to do and giving advice and they don't listen. One of the key ways to build relationships, which leads into psychological safety, is to stop talking and start listening or asking open-ended questions. Sometimes employees just wanna be heard. 
sometimes they don't even need an answer or a solution. They just want to be heard. So I think managers need to do less talking and more listening. It lets employees know that the manager thinks they're important because they're being listened to. That's that's huge right there. That's key. And it's something that manager, managers can start doing immediately right now. It's nothing they need training for. They just need to stop talking. And open-ended questions are easy enough to, to frame. I work with people in coaching all the time on some standard open-ended questions that they can ask their people that allow their people to do more of the talking. So that's one thing. The other is to create forums where their people have a chance to exchange viewpoints, information, whether it's a team meeting or a virtual lunch with their employees, create the environment, create the space for people to come together. And that also ties into creativity and innovation in the workplace. In order to have that, employees need a space to let ideas flow, to brainstorm, to talk back and forth to each other. So in some ways, the managers need to loosen up the structures a little bit. And it's good to have your meetings where it's there's a formal agenda because there are things that have to get done and have to get talked about. But other types of forums are important too, where there's a little less structure and there's a free flow of ideas and just chatting and talking. I think if leaders could start with just those couple of things, that would go a long way to start building psychological safety in teams. Yeah, I like that. It, it, starting with the one-on-ones and the the listen more than talk kind of thing. One thing that came to my mind as you were saying that, I've often challenged leaders to uh, share with me their the dynamic of when a direct report comes in and brings a problem to them, you know, how does that typically unfold? And inevitably, the, you know, if I'm a direct report and I bring you a problem, inevitably, your quick, normal reaction is to start solving the problem and give me the answer. And then I walk away and I, I haven't learned anything, you know, but I encourage, I use the phrase, I ask the leaders, are you leading or are you solving the problem? Very and good question. Yes. Two, two, two big different things. And often when I first approach a leader about this, they'll say, well, I'm not sure I, I know the difference. And it's like, well, when you solve the problem and give an answer, it's based on your own experience, your own knowledge at that point. And likely in your mind, you have a waterfall process of if then that, and if that then, and you're going through these sort of connect the dots to get down to the final answer. Why not coach your person to do that waterfall? You know, and, and you can start with things like, well, okay, I see how that might be a problem. Who have you talked to? What else have you considered? Who, you know, who else has contributed to this conclusion? And it's a, it's that ultimate waterfall logic. And when you demonstrate that to them, they realize, oh, well, that's the process to get to the right answer. And... Yes, it takes a little longer the first time you do it, 
but now your person is equipped. It's the classic teach a man to fish thing. And now they're able, likely they're going to have a similar problem maybe tomorrow, but now they've got the logic and they might not even have to bother you at all. When managers solve the problems for their people, their people aren't learning to do the critical thinking on their own that they need to do. So the manager is doing a huge disservice to the employee to do that. And oftentimes, if I'm coaching someone who wants to go to their manager with a problem, I will say, don't go without a solution. Even though it's a problem, come up with your version of what you think the solution should be before you go to your manager for the answer, because the managers shouldn't be solving those problems. Yeah. I, I, that was my mantra back in my banking days. I told all my people, you know, don't bring me a problem unless you've got a recommendation and a solution for it. And uh, people did really well. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. It's a good strategy. (laughs) People generally did really well. They knew that um, they, they best not show up, you know, unless they at least tried solving it themselves and, needed a you know final rendering of it final uh, final review but um well monique i tell you this has been great i really appreciate you sitting in it is time that we wrap this up but uh before we do that tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more my website is mdconsultingglobal.com and on that site is all the social media i'd love for everyone to connect with me there I have a live radio show launching next week through the Voice America Business Channel. So that'll air live at 9 a.m. Pacific every Thursday, or they can download the podcast later on. And I'll be talking about a lot of these topics and many more with my guests. So that's where they can find me. Great. And as always, folks, we'll have that information in the show notes. So feel free to hop over there. And if you're listening to this on your favorite streaming channel, uh, don't forget that we've got the video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Uh, I hope you hop over there, join the channel, and uh, pay attention to uh, the new releases that we've got coming. We are dropping shows three times a week, so there's a lot of content that uh, is shared and out there. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and uh, wish you the best. Hope you have a great day, and we hope to see you again real soon. Thanks. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.